What happens when educators are given the time and support to address complex dilemmas in their practice? Today on the show, we have a panel discussion celebrating 10 years of Cohort 21. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Garth and Justin, welcome back to the show. It's so good to have you in here again. Thanks, Celeste. Thanks, Celeste. Why don't we start by having you introducing yourself again? You've been on the show several times, but for those people who don't know you, Garth, do you want to go first by saying who you are, where you live, and what you do? Sure. Garth Nichols. I live in Toronto and Vice Principal of Strategic Innovation at Havergal College. Amazing. Your turn, Justin. I'm Justin Medved at the York School, downtown Toronto, and I am the Associate Head of Academics. Amazing. I am bringing you into this intro segment of the show because many moons ago, which I think it was maybe in September, you said, hey, what about this is an idea for the show? And I said, that's a great idea. How about you help me introduce it? So can you tell everyone uh, what we're about to listen to today? So this is the 10th year of Core 21. And that means it's 10 years of... Uh, stewarding a professional learning community uh, that um, CIS Ontario supports and um, uses to further its mission to develop uh, its community of educators. And um, we're excited to look back on the last 10 years and hear about what has made it so successful and hear from some of the people who experienced that along the way. Uh, yeah, I would just add that um, we all we have this like great little saying at Core Twenty One called uh, Core Twenty One is like, the beginning of the end. Uh, sorry, the end of the beginning, <laughs> and uh, it's always interesting to see. And we wanted to check in after ten years, you know, get some different people from different years to talk about where they were, where they were at the time, where they are now, and possibly where they're going as well. For those people who don't know what Cohort Twenty One is, Garth, can you give us a little primer in your own words about what is it? Like the elevator pitch that you might give to a total stranger. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, so Cohort Twenty One is a year-long professional development organization that promotes and provokes teachers to examine their craft and take on a challenge that they feel is relevant and they feel is truly authentic to themselves and their students. That's really good. Ding really dong! Well this is our floor. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Anything you think uh, the audience needs to hear before we jump into this panel discussion? Yeah, I think that it, it'd be interesting to contextualize this. And I, and I know that you, you know, you get uh, some of the listeners to think about, you know, previous episodes where we've been on in the past, but where Cohort 21 came from was really around um, seeking authentic professional development for ourselves, where Justin and I would, uh, we would meet and we would talk and some point in the conversations we'd start to think does anyone else talk about this stuff I'm sure other people want to talk about this stuff so I think it came from a whole confluence of events like I had attended the Klingenstein Institute and was really impacted by that work and so was seeking not to mimic or copy that but rather take some of the things that really resonated with me and provide that ongoing conversation with those big pieces that resonated yeah, I'm glad you looped that back because we talk a little bit about the origins in the panel and I'm speaking for you at that moment. So I'm glad that you start the conversation here yeah. in your own words. So you say it in a much better way than I do in the panel discussion. Um, Justin, anything you want to add before people jump into the listening? 
Yeah, I think what you hear in the interview is that it's challenging to define it. And in the way that Klingenstein has developed a brand around, it's a powerful educator development community. And I think that's what we've taken on as well, or an accelerator of sorts, just go do it, it's worth it. And I think we have developed a similar reputation, but people still have a challenge, a challenging time defining what it is that Core 21 is in the way that when you don't say you're gonna walk away learning X, in the way traditional PD is set up. Go here, learn this, you're now better. The open-ended nature of this learning community that sits with just pure inquiry at its heart and facilitation and support around the edges. And we take on new um, ideas each year. So no year is the same um, because we're an, evolu an evolving professional learning network reflective of where education is at any one moment in time means we are everything and yet a kind of a moment in time too um, and so what I guess you hear in this kind of uncertainty of how what is it is kind of like I trust the process message that I think comes out again and again and the year-long commitment is, I think, probably the unique piece, which is to say, when you're trying to solve really complicated problems in your classroom, it's not happening over a weekend. It's going to need a full year of support, rich dialogue, and community to drive it. And that's really, at the, at the core of it, what, what the experience is. That is a perfect piece of furniture to set this conversation into. So we're going to transition now into the panel discussion and we'll follow back up with Justin Agarth at the end. We're going to begin by having everybody introduce themselves as we always do on the show. And the three things that we're going to share are who we are, where we live and what we do. You can interpret those however you want. Um, and we're going to start with Melissa because you're at the top left corner of my screen. So I'm not at the top left corner of my <laughs> screen, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> so I'm, so I guess I'll do them in reverse that I am currently near Brighton, Ontario. Uh, since cohort 21, I've done a whole bunch of things, but I'm currently a principal with PVNC and a mom to two kids amid all the pandemic craziness. So I feel like a little bit of this and a little bit of that all at the same time. I think just parenting during the pandemic should be a job title in and of itself. It's like, that's its whole thing that should <laughs> be trying to keep like, it together. Yeah. <laughs> what I do is try to keep it together. Awesome. Okay, Derek, jump in. Hey folks, so I'm Derek Doucette. I currently reside in Lakefield, Ontario, and I am taking a year to work on uh, designing uh, my app, and that is going well. I have a meeting this week with, uh, with uh, my a mentor at the Innovation Cluster who's going to, yeah, we're going to unlock some money, and it's going to get built, and we'll see where it goes after that. I love that, and people who sound like Derek is familiar. Derek has been on the show before. I can't remember the episode number, but it's in the first like 10, I want to say. Um, so it's great to have you back and to get to follow your journey even more. Uh, Laura, jump in. Derek, I can't wait to hear the update. That's so exciting. 
Um, my name is Laura Mustard. I'm in Toronto and I'm a librarian at St. Clement School. Okay, that was the most succinct intro that I've ever heard. You get bonus points. That could just be like the crisp and most sharp uh, way to introduce yourself. Laura has also been on the show before in the first season. I will link to both of your episodes. I don't remember the numbers. I should have those tattooed onto my arm, but it's great to get to talk to you again, Laura. Um, Ashley Bailey Davis, jump in. Yeah, I'm Ashley. I'm, uh, I live in Toronto and I'm a guidance counselor um, in a school in Richmond Hill. And I'm also um, a parent to two young children. I'm really happy to be here talking about cohort 21. Me too. I'm so happy you're here. There was like a couple of emails back and forth and I didn't know if you'd be able to make it. So I'm really happy that you're here. Um, and we have two Ashleys on the call, which is quite the delight. Jump in, Ashley. Hi there, I'm Ashley Domina. Thank you, Celeste, for having me on the podcast today. Um, I'm a senior English teacher in uh, King City, Ontario, and I live in Newmarket. So we're all joining together today. It sounds like a wedding. We are joined together today to celebrate 10 years of Cohort 21. And those of you who don't know, Obviously, Cohort 21 um, is the reason this podcast started. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably have heard this phrase a few times before. Cohort 21 is a year-long professional development program for educators within the Ontario Independent System. It's called CIS Ontario, Conference of Independent Schools of Ontario. And basically, it's a year-long inquiry for teachers to engage with a meaningful dilemma in their classroom. I haven't scripted this out, so I'm just like saying this off the top of my head. So if I forget some important part, please jump in, friends. Everyone who I know that has personally gone through Cohort 21 has said that it's been one of the most remarkable professional learning experiences of their career. And there's a few reasons why I think that is the case. The first is that it's not just like a conference that you go to and then you never access those ideas again. It's designed to slowly trickle throughout your year. So there's usually four face-to-face -face sessions. And then throughout those, there are little engagements like Twitter chats or you know, hangouts or things that are happening in a pub when we were allowed to do that. Or you know, when we had Google Hangouts, there would be that. And now there's Zoom calls. So it's really a way for teachers to ask big questions about their practice, to get tools and resources and other people to engage with those questions and try to design something that addresses that problem. We always have these things come up in our practices, but we never really have the space, the support, the bandwidth, the time to do them. So Cohort 21 kind of filled this gap in education that Garth and Justin, the co-founders saw as a way for people to have time to do meaningful inquiry as a teacher. Does anyone want to add in anything? I just sort of like blurted all that out. Is there anything else that you feel like we should add in about what makes Cohort 21 so unique and special? I feel like one of the keys to its success and like the real warm feelings you get as a participant are those like layers of support that are built in between coaches and facilitators and all of that sort of scaffolded um, meetups that you mentioned you always someone have someone there that you know how to reach out to, to talk through somehow that you're stuck or to get a different perspective. That is really invaluable. That's a really great point, Laura Mustard. This, this is set up kind of like there are 
I don't even know, like six-ish groups of people that meet with each face-to-face session. And each group has a facilitator and then several coaches attached. So there's participants who've gone through the Cohort 21 experience with people who are new to the process. So in any group of like 15 people, half of them have done something like this before. And it's kind of like a it's kind of like an amazing pyramid scheme where the thing that we're all trying to get better at is just being more awesome teachers. <laughs> and it's like everyone is kind of like joining in and people just can't leave. That's kind of the best part about it. It's not a cult, but you know, we're all in it for the camaraderie and the friendship and the learning. So I'm curious, I want to start this conversation about what stands out to you about that first year that you were involved with Cohort 21. Some of you have been doing it year after year after year, and some of you did it for one year and then like went off to your own practice and you know had an impact in that way. So I'm curious from your first memory, what stands out to you about that learning experience? Um, what I remember most was the positivity, um, but also this idea that you could be completely empowered by the experience. And what I noticed was um, that by watching people do their action plans and engaging in the process with your own action plan, uh, you saw that this could work and you sort of felt this sense that you could take on big projects and that you could find success and that the community was there to support you. Um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of coaches who were actually from my school. And so that uh, that positivity and that energy got to continue when we were at our school together. And so that added to this ability to really engage with meaningful projects and have that sense that it was going to be successful, not that sense that it was too big to take on, especially when you're so busy as a teacher. Yeah, there's something really important about feeling that possibility, because I don't know about you guys, but there's always this feeling of, oh, I couldn't do that. Or there's always this excuse, or you always have that calling that's like, no, 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 we can't pull that off. But I don't feel like I ever felt that with cohort 21. There's always just this bubbling feeling of that's doable, which is really contagious and so needed, especially right now. Um, so Ashley Bailey Davis here. And um, the thing I remember most actually is it was only my second year teaching when I did cohort 21. My first year teaching, I had a colleague who did it. And I think the very first year of cohort 21. And um, I was just really overwhelmed because it was my first year teaching. And when he talked about it, I thought, oh, this will help me to feel less overwhelmed. And <laughs> when I went in the, the first meeting, it did not help me feel less overwhelmed, but I, I did feel like, oh, I'm definitely going to learn something here. Um, and then by the second meeting, I had, um, I graduated from the master of teaching at OISE, which was very inquiry heavy. So even though there were a lot of things, like, I think I was new to Twitter, even like I, I had no idea about educational technology, except the course I had in uh, my master of teaching. So that was, that was something where I was like, oh, this is all new, but people are here who know stuff about it. And I'm so excited about that. And then the inquiry process I was familiar with. So it was this real mix of familiar and unfamiliar, and there's, everybody's here to support you. And um, in that early stage of teaching, it was, um, I was so um, thankful to have that community where uh, like I was so, like I knew that I could grow and really launch into something safely. Melissa, you want to jump in? Sure. 
So I, I think what I loved about that initial meeting, I too had that feeling like, I don't really know what this is all about. And I have no idea where I'm going with it, but everyone in the room is also at that place where they want to grow. It doesn't have that sense. Are you sitting in some PD where half the room's just waiting for it to be over and the other half is game for something big? Everyone sitting in those chairs next to you is trying something big too. And you're getting feedback from people who are being real honest, but in a really purposeful, critical way. And it's contagious. You say it's not a cult, but we clearly have all drank the Kool-Aid. Like it's the most wonderful thing. And even though you leave feeling completely overwhelmed, like you don't know what's going on, it's also got great energy and you seek out those people in your building who are like, you're a little crazy. You're going to love this. So sign up for this next year. I can't tell you what it's about. You're just going to have to go with it. So that, that was my impression. <laughs> That's so true. Like you find the people in your own communities and you're like, you're a little nuts and you're going to love this. Like I've so done that in my own practice. Everyone's like nodding their heads right now. Uh, Laura, do you want to jump in here? I feel like you've got something. Yeah, absolutely. The sort of other sort of secret sauce, I think, is time. Like the fact that you really do have those dedicated times when you're out of the busyness of your day and you have a real chunk, like you're there for eight, 10 hours, whatever it is after, you know, you hit up the bar afterwards, if that's something that, you know, it's non-pandemic times. Um, and just that time to really honor the um, inquiry process and really dig deep and be open to seeing where your question goes and thinking and refining and knowing that you're going to leave that day with really concrete next steps and experiments you're going to try in your classroom or your space the next day and iterations and ideas for a blog post and just having that knowledge that you're going to have another one of these opportunities in a couple of months and you're going to come back to it and you're going to come back to it that time I think was so key for me and so differentiated from other kinds of professional development experiences. Hey folks, uh, Derek Doucette uh, chiming in. So I, I joined cohort in season one and uh, it was cause Garth reached out to me. Garth and I worked at Greenwood um, and I played basketball with Justin on Tuesday nights at the York school and, and Garth reached out and he said, you are, you need to get in on this. Justin and I have cooked up this amazing thing. And I, Celeste, we were in the same season, right? Like I remember we were just, uh, it was, it was like the wild west. It was so exciting. And I felt unleashed and unlocked. I, I feel like I was pretty early in my career as I was, uh, five or six years in and, uh, and I was just ready for something. I didn't know what I was meant to go to Klingenstein, but then I left Toronto. I was super devastated Lakefield wasn't down with that at that time. And then, so, uh, so then when I finally got, uh, when I finally got into cohort, it was like, this is amazing. And, uh, and it was, yeah, it was magic. It was the people for me. Um, it was connecting with all these really high level educators and falling in love with their brains and hearing about their problems. And then just sort of, you know, using Twitter and Digo and all these other quirky tools that we used way back. And, uh, and just, taking taking control of your sphere where you can and and taking action to make things better for students 
Number one, I love the Deco shout out. I feel like you've done that a few times in different like mediums and I'm super here for it. Um, and I also love that you mentioned Klingenstein. I'm wondering, did anyone else on this call participate in Klingenstein at any point in their career? Okay, so interesting fact, and I'll get Garth to clarify this. Um, cohort was really modeled because of Klingenstein. So Garth did Klingenstein, which is a summer two-week professional development run through Columbia for independent school educators. 98% of the educators that do it are from the States, but they do accept Canadian educators as well. It's just so unheard of in Canada that it's usually more American educators. And it is an incredible learning experience that I did, I did in 2013. So I did, I did cohort first and then Klingenstein. And you can see how Garth and Justin, I don't think Justin's done it, but Garth did, how it honors teachers as intellectuals. And I say that because I think that there's a lot of learning out there and perhaps we've all done it, that we're treated or taught to like we're not as smart, brilliant, capable humans that we are. And so Klingenstein, like they, you know, for example, it was like a five-star catering experience for every meal. And then there'd be like wine at every meal. And they would say things like, you know, this is, this is what you deserve. This is what you should have because you are an amazing professional and you deserve to have something where you feel treated well. You've worked hard all year. This is something that you can celebrate. And Garth and Justin have done, you know, it's not just the wine, obviously, but it's the way that they have designed something that takes teachers as intellectuals and takes teachers as thoughtful practitioners that when given the tools, the time, the resources can make huge changes and meaningful improvements in their own practices. And I don't think that we see that in many other places where we're held in such a high regard. It's certainly not now. Like I think that like in the realm of education now, teaching and teachers have not felt like we have been honored as the capable intellectual professionals that we are. And so I think for me, when I tapped into cohort, I was like, oh my God, this is my, this is my tribe. These are my people. Like we love teaching. We love nerding out on Digo and on like, you know, Google forms and talking about flipped classrooms, like just finding other people where you can delight in education together. And that's a really wonderful, rare thing. This is a perfect segue because I've been doing research with my PhD and about writing instruction, the movement of teacher as researcher, I found out is very recent. So we're talking like the 1970s. And this is coming out of a time where standardized testing is starting to take over. There was like a huge literacy crisis and there is now then because of this huge literacy crisis where there is a perceived idea that there was too many people that were illiterate, that there had to be more standardized curriculum, standardized testing as kind of like a way to address this massive problem and not directly in response to it, but it's kind of like a movement that comes out of this is much more around teachers as scholars, teachers as researchers, teachers as you know, capable of looking at the children in their classroom and thinking, what do these humans need? What can I do for these people? What are my problems rather than this company or this external source coming in and telling them what to do? And we even see this push now in education, obviously, like this kind of push pull of like how much say teachers should have in their classrooms and who gets to decide what gets taught and what books get to be taught. 
So I want to take a moment and really dig into this idea of experimentation, action research in our classrooms. So the question that I'm throwing out to the group is, what do we think the role of experimentation or action, action research should be for teachers in the classroom or for, should be for educators at large? Like what do schools need to do to make that possible, to make teacher as researcher possible? Um, so teachers are always asking questions in their heads, right? We're always asking, oh, how can I help this particular student to learn better? What is happening here that these students aren't learning this concept, right? So the role of inquiry and the role of teacher as researcher, I think, is to um, give power to the teacher to actually answer those questions uh, based on research, based on um, further education. And I know personally that uh, asking those questions and seeking answers based on student needs um, has been to totally possible in the world of my classroom. Um, I think all educators can be empowered to do that. But thinking about this question, I, it's really time. I think, you know, I mentioned that I have two young kids and when you're teaching online and being a parent, for example, we all have our, our responsibilities. It's hard to notice when the time is to do that thinking. Um, so I think if we're looking at or school organizations, what schools can really do to help teachers and empower teachers to do this thinking is to give them time. So somebody mentioned that cohort 21 gives you that time. It gives you four days in the year and um, a project that you present at the end of the year to do that. But if, but in our schools, when we design PD, I think we can, we can empower teachers to ask their own inquiry questions to solve problems in their classroom. Um, and there's lots of different reasons for doing different PD, but um, as a teacher, your, your classroom is the world you're primarily working in and your students are primarily um, the, obviously the people that you impact. So um, you want to take the most time thinking about how to best serve them um, in a grounded way. I completely, it's Laura Mustard, I completely agree with everything um, Ashley was saying. Totally true, all of it, yes. The other thing I think is a key ingredient is a really high degree of institutional trust um, between administration and faculty, faculty amongst each other to share what you're working on with your colleagues or um, seek help from your department head. Um, I think you know those are, are so key. And then the power is really that we're able to model some of those modes that we want our students to take, to take responsibility for their own learning and ask deep questions and reflect on what works and what doesn't. But I think all of that isn't possible without everything um, that Ashley mentioned, of course, and also without the feeling of trust and safety. I'm curious to hear from Melissa now because you have shifted into an administrative role. So you are now a principal and you, you know, in your own way, I'm sure that there's like directives from above, but you get to help your teachers learn. So I'm wondering from an administrative perspective, what gets in the way sometimes, or what do you think can really help that flourish in a school community? I think right now, the biggest impediment is time and a severe lack of supply teachers has not aided the ability to give people time. 
because I think there's a need to have that sort of time to think it out, the trial and error, the time to collaborate with a peer or a, um, a critical friend that you want to have those conversations with. And it, it's almost impossible right now to really provide that kind of time because when I'm, like I'm looking at who's going to be away tomorrow because it's an elementary school and people have little kids, like there's going to be at least three teachers who aren't there that need coverage that don't have a flight. Like there, there's a lot of impediments that are all related to time right now, which is hard. Like I love the teachers in my building. They're great. They're wonderful professionals. I trust their judgment, but I know they need time to work through some ideas. I wish I had a better answer. No, it's hard because I feel like every question that we ask about education right now is so clouded by COVID. It's just, you know, the the haze that we're all breathing in right now. Do you think that time is still the biggest factor without COVID being a thing? I think especially now, yes. And truthfully, I've only been an administrator during COVID, which is a really peculiar experience. But I think back to even things that I was doing when I was, when I was, in a classroom and whenever I was pitching a new idea or a new initiative or something, time to collaborate was always the biggest impediment that people would have to it. And I think prior to COVID, there were more opportunities to be able to carve out time to try to be creative in a, well, if we do this other crazy plan, then we could carve out enough time for the group of us to talk to each other and come up with something great. And that's increasingly difficult now. I think in just about any building or any school, you can find a group of people who love change and want to try something new. You just have to find them. And I think COVID has pushed us even more into little silos where it's harder to find those people. They're still there, but they're harder to connect to one another. I think that, uh, yeah, the, the time piece is huge, COVID and, and without COVID. I think Laura Mustard's point around institutional trust is a really important piece around um, just supporting your teachers as they want to explore different things. And I think you have to really consider all the stakeholders, the parents who are, who are paying tuition for their kids to attend these top CIS Ontario schools. And, uh, and, and, a neat piece of that is, is courage, right? So which institutions are going to, and which schools are going to have the courage to, um, to be able to make that shift into teachers researcher and have teachers, have teachers, maybe some lessons not land very well. Right. And, and have the resilience that when their kids go home and they tell their parents and they say, wow, like we have not like today was a bomb. And, and for the parents to also be in on the game um, and have been consulted and understand the why, I think that, that it, is, it really requires a holistic approach. And uh, that takes immense courage for, for you to shift the game a little bit and be willing to have those, those things fall flat a little bit, I think. Oh my God, that's huge because when you're experimenting, you're going to mess it up and to have the institutional support around you that gets what you're doing and understands that that's how it, how it is. That's how learning is. And sometimes the stakes are higher when we're in front of a classroom or when we're doing a project in front of the school, but yeah, like how we model failure or missteps or mishaps. That's huge. There's a lot of nodding right now. I love that. I'm just like, yeah. Uh, 
I just have some like an anecdote about failure. Yes, because I think in my cohort 21 project, I had students use the design cycle to design their own study tools for an exam. It was a grade 12 class. And that could have gone really wrong. Like I didn't provide them an exam package. I was like, nope, we're using the design cycle. Um, And I think that the trust has to be there not only from administration and definitely from parents, I guess, but even from your students, right? Because my students had to trust me that I was trying to do the best thing for them so that then they put what they could into the project as well. Like, I don't like I'm getting to be a crotchety teacher. I don't know if I'd try that again. It's really risky in <laughs> retrospect, but I did it uh, and I, it went fine. I didn't hear anything else about it. So <laughs> I think it went fine. But yeah. It's interesting, though, too, because you bring that up. And I'm thinking about many things that I did as a, you know, first, second, third year teacher that just sucked because they sucked. And it wasn't that like I was experimenting with anything. I was just learning the craft of teaching. So it's almost like intentional failure or designed failure or failure with a support network around you. Because believe, I think everyone can agree to this and anyone listening, like there's plenty of things that we do as educators that just fall flat. And when we're experimenting or doing the design process and going through that cycle, at least in that way, we're anticipating some of those failures, at least in that way, we have friends that we can go back to and be like, well, that didn't work. What should I do next? Whereas we're just failing in a silo. It's a lot more miserable. I'm curious, speaking of that, what is a dilemma that you're going through in your practice right now? And this is probably going to be very COVID related because that is, again, the, the, air that we're all breathing in right now, for lack of a better metaphor. What is something that you're currently dealing with right now? And how are you thinking about approaching or addressing this challenge? Um, Laura Mustard here. I I think I can start a little bit. Um, I haven't thought about wording it in exactly this way before, but one of the things that I've been... So in the library, I've always thought it's really important for the library as space to be a welcoming space, a safe space, a space for those kids who maybe don't have another space. And what is the data I have to back that up? So we've done surveys and I can get every student to answer the survey, but, and I, I've got good results. So that, that's, that's one thing. Then there's, you know, the questions about how you ask the question and how, Uh, motivated the students feel to be honest with you. But one of the big projects that I'm undertaking this year has to do with our collection. And um, oh, Derek already knows about this. I already talked his ear off about my diversity audit. So I had to learn how to do a representative statistical sampling of our collection and export that data from our catalog and then get hands on with every single title in this Um, sample, which is almost like a 2000 book sample size, and then look at it against the number of areas where we're sort of interested in collecting some data to see like, is our collection going to be a place that students see themselves represented, where books are being, you know, windows, mirrors, sliding glass doors, all that good stuff that we know about. And is that something I can point to, to say, yes, look here, this is something that I've measured and here are some really positive stakes. I'm going to steps I'm going to take to continue to make sure that the library is a space that's supporting our schools, sort of bigger mission and 
um, strategic directions when it comes to equity, diversity, and inclusion. So that's my big one for this year. That is huge. That is a huge undertaking. And it sounds like a really meaningful project to do. So thank you for sharing that for us. I'll jump in. Uh, this is Ashley Domina here. And uh, I was thinking about this actually very recently because I started the year with looking at my students and thinking about how stressed they are. And I wanted to approach that, I think, as most teachers were. This is two years where we're thinking about our stressed students. We're thinking how we can support them um, and always try to ask them how they can feel supported, uh, what it is that they need, what they've been enjoying. Uh, I ask a lot of skill-based questions as well. But um, as I was looking at it um, around Christmas break, I started to look instead at this idea that their stress is sort of coming into the classroom and it's taking away from their focus when we're doing writing activities. And I look, I wanna look specifically at that. So I'm at the very, very early stages and I'm hoping to create a space where they can focus with the sort of the major issue being that they are feeling stress from other classes, other assignments that are due. I'm seeing some things that are coming into my class, unfortunately, and you have that difficulty of looking at a student who has their math out and they need to put their math away, but their math is going to be in their head. They're not going to be able to take advantage of that part of the writing process. Um, so I, I want to create a space where they can focus. And I think it's a really complicated question. And I'm going to be looking to people in my building to support, uh, sort of not to support, to um, offer some ideas. And I'm going to be trying to ask my students. And Laura, thank you for what you were sharing. It was helpful to look at all of the different things that are complicated about asking students directly about this. Um, so I'm hoping I can, by the end of the year, have a space that is more suited to helping students focus. And we'll see. I mean, even just unpacking the word focus is such a big concept too. Like, are you imagining a space where students can use writing as a form of mindfulness so that they're able to sit with the discomfort of their year and all the other competing interests? Or is it a way for them to, you know, just sit down and write, like just to, you know, remove all the other distractions and just get to it? Like, it's a, it's a huge undertaking and so important. I love that you're exploring this question. Thank you, thank you. Um, this is Ashley Domina. Thank you for your question. It, it makes me think. Um, at the beginning of the year, we were asking students to look at their own lives. Um, and so the reflection was personal and they ended up comparing that to a character in a book. And it was beautiful. And I love learning about my students in that way. Um, but I really am thinking here about their skill development. And I want to serve them by supporting their skill development. And that is incredibly difficult when they're distracted. And the, the stresses are everywhere. There's so many different layers of that stress. So I, I guess my narrow view right now is that I would like them to be able to focus on what we are writing so that they can develop those skills and they can grow. And I think that the, there will be joy that comes out of that for them. At least that's what I've seen in some of the questions that I've been asking them about their development and what's making them feel proud. So that is where my head's at right now, but that could change. Yeah, so I'm um, in my current role. This is, this is Ashley Bailey Davis. In my current role, I do some um, student life uh, stuff and um, and the student leadership coordinator. And after two years, of a pandemic, I've been thinking about how do we get students back into student life? How do we get them to really connect with each other? Um, and so I've been, I've looped in some colleagues who are um, 
super fun. I mean, all my colleagues are super fun, but I've looped in a few of them to help me think about it. And we came up with so far empathy, which is so important. Um, but after just being, you know, everybody's cohorted, how do you really connect, especially when you're trying to develop your social skills as a teenager, how do you really naturally connect with people after you've been siloed for so long? Um, and so we're exploring empathy. We're doing it through an empathy curriculum, but um, my favorite way, my favorite inquiry piece right now is um, a few of us have been putting them into tribes, like going back to our tribes uh, training um, and just putting them in that and having them look at each other and learn about each other and ask each other authentic questions. Um, and at the end of the year, we're having them create media pieces about each other. So they have to do the authentic learning. And uh, I don't know, our, our hypothesis is that doing that with a small number of peers now, um, when we're able to be back in uh, bigger groups, they'll, they'll be empowered to be able to do that with anyone they come up to. Um, and so I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think we talked about the piece, the support piece and the community piece and the other educators that at my school that I'm doing it with, it's so important to be able to have, have them to check in with, to see how it's going and to know that we're doing it together. Just to have that group that consistently is together for a long period of time is so special. Like how long are they going to be in their tribe for? Like, do you have an idea of the arc of the whole thing? It's a, a whole year. Oh, yeah. Yes. Four or five oh kids God. together for a year. Yeah. And like what's juicy about that, Ashley, is that they're going to get into conflict. They're going to bother each other. They're going to annoy the hell out of each other. And that's where the actual learning happens. Like I love how real and authentic and uncomfortable and right up in each other's faces they get through that kind of longitudinal group work. For sure. That has, that has already happened yes. and we're <laughs> leaning into it. Yeah. <laughs> you're not trying to like put out the fires and like, it really, it really works better when they know and they understand that too. It's actually the beauty of it. And that's what reality is. Like you can't change your brother and sister. You can't change your coworkers. And like, we know that as well. Like it's just sometimes you're with people and you have to find ways to work with them. That's really cool. What are the media products that you want to create? Like, are you giving them kind of guidelines or just like make something? Yeah, I said, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes with the narrative piece and artifacts that the mm. that your group members have created. So um, we'll see what they come up with. They're going to make TikToks. I love it. They, yeah, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> that's the best. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to hear how that goes. I'm going to loop back to you and get the whole scoop and I want to hear about it. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, Ashley, the Les and I hosted a... Um, an empathy piece for the, how might we for season 10 and, uh, and less came up less and, and future design school have this amazing thing. And it's, it's called big talk. And so it, it's going against small talk. I don't know if you've heard less talk about it, but it's, it's like, what is, what is your biggest fear? Right. And it's less about this chit chat stuff. And it's like really kind of deep. And then, so, and, and, you know, what's your biggest fear? Or what are you most afraid of is seems innocuous, but then people were sharing these wild stories and then you, you get a real glimpse into their lives and who they are as people, which I thought was, was a, a neat piece just with that empathy with the tribes. I think 
is, is a lot of fun, right? Um, so as a, a French teachers all over the place are, are dealing with, um, obviously wellness is a huge thing. And I think that uh, the, the gendered language as we explore uh, DIJ, uh, it's a massive thing. Um, and, and it's super complicated and tricky, which is amazing when you're looking at dilemmas. And so there's, there's that piece, but then there's also a, um, a longevity of learning thing, right? Like students take French, for example, for a really long time. And you think that, our bilingual rates, right? Like uh, Celeste, you talked about um, the literacy piece, right? At the beginning. And, and you would think that we are, are, are you know, general population would, would be very uh, adept and be able to be quite competent in the language, but we don't. And so uh, there's, there's this longevity piece. And this has been something that has, this is the problem I fell in love with back in 2013. Um, and, and I've been working on it ever since, which is hilarious. Um, and so it's really around this. Uh, so I read Powerful Teaching and this, this idea of uh, we really only focus on encoding uh, in, the, in the three uh, stages of learning, right? And so we don't really concern ourselves as teachers with storage, nor do we really conserve our, concern ourselves with retrieval. And so the, this, this idea of they're called barbecues, big bucket quizzes low stakes or no stakes, consistent quizzes, and you quiz things from three, four months ago as well. We're going to transition to the ticket out the door, which is a really powerful moment of silly questions with uh, no <laughs> no clear uh, answers that you need to give. So we're going to uh, move forward to that. We're going to go into a specific order. So, so we'll go in the order, Derek, Ashley D, Laura, Melissa, Ashley BD. Every single question will just go through, boom, boom, boom. Are we ready to do the ticket out the door, folks? Amazing. <laughs> Something you're grateful for right now. Family. One of my students are laughing and having a great time. Chocolate. Adult conversation. My dog. Those are amazing. First thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Chase the sun. Make coffee. Read. I wish it was something better, but I see how many supply teachers I'm short. <laughs> Say good morning to the three-year-old who snuck into my bed. <laughs> oh, I love those little moments. Last thing you do before you go to bed. Snuggle with one of my children uh, who is either in, in my bed or in their bed. Read. Oh, I'm the worst. It's my phone. <laughs> Read. I pet the dog. The most recent TV show you binged and loved. I don't, I don't actually have a TV show that I binge. <laughs> I did. I did, just read, I did just read Rapture by Nick Nurse. Um, so many parallels to education. Teach without fear. His players play without fear. Teach without fear. I'm struggling to remember the name. It's the woman across the street from the woman in the window. Real answer, Peppa Pig. But like adult <laughs> answer, I guess is like Superstore maybe. I can't actually think of a series that I've been watching. So I don't think I have one. My children's YouTube in the background, maybe. Uh, the Witcher. I'm finding it really hard not to like comment after everyone's thing. I'm like really pulling it in right now. <laughs> Pie or cake? Oh, wait. Well, okay. This is how we're going to do it. Pie or cake, beach or mountain, spring or fall. Do all three of them at once. Uh, cake, beach, spring. Cake, beach, fall. 
Pie mountain fall. Cake beach fall. Would you rather be able to be invisible or be able to fly? I would love to be able to fly. Definitely fly. Another vote for fly. Me too. Invisible, 100%. Yeah, I'm on team invisible. And like, here's my logic. And I want to hear Ashley Bailey Davis, you're thinking, if you can be invisible, you can get on any plane. If you can fly, someone's going to shoot you down in the sky. That's just my thinking. Like invisible has more versatility. I'm just putting it out there. Ashley BD, you want to add on? Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that angle, but that's valid. I just, uh, I, I like the Irish exit. I just want to be able to disappear and not have to say goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid of that. the Gaiji's ring problem. What is that? I don't know what that is. It's a thing from Plato and the Gaiji's has a ring that makes him invisible and it makes him evil. Like no one can see him. He can't get in trouble. He has all this power. Can he control himself? No. Yeah. I probably would become evil. Maybe I'm okay with that. Maybe that's what I'm, we're saying here, but I love it. It's really great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and realistically, uh, if you can fly, you can fly to a solitary place, right? To just sort of be on your own. Wouldn't you be cold while you're doing that? Yeah. That's like a downside. <laughs> There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of holes in both of these <laughs> special powers. What would be your last meal on earth? Ribs. Pasta. Pizza and beer. I don't know that I actually care what I would eat. I'd be more concerned with who I'd be with mm -hmm. because like, I'm not going to make it out for very long after that anyway. So good point. It's a good point. More about the company. I would say turkey dinner. Mm. Okay. Last question in one word. This is the hard part. What is the future of learning? Relearning. Compassionate. Empathy. Questioning. Community. Hmm. It's a lot of nodding and there's a lot of smiling on the screen right now. I feel like you are the future of learning and just hearing your thoughts, hearing your questions, hearing your reflections. I just have such hope and comfort for the institutions that we're creating and the communities that we're building and the conversations that we're having. So thank you for sharing yourself tonight on the podcast, but more importantly, thank you for sharing yourself in the field of education. We need you. And this has given me such comfort. Thank you. Thank you, Celeste. It was a pleasure to be here. Garth and Justin, welcome back. It's great to uh, get to be reunited with you. Uh, so we've heard the panel talking about Cohort 21. We've heard them talking about you. What stands out to you the most after hearing this conversation? Like, what is a key takeaway for you hearing people talk about this thing that you have created? Well, yeah, two things come to mind. One is a bit of pride. Uh, it's so wonderful to hear from um, everyone on that on that call who I've grown to know and become friends with. So part of, I think, the success story for me is relationships uh, that I've developed over the years, built around a common love for teaching and learning, and really this kind of passionate group of educators we've been able to bring together that love just talking about optimistic challenges that we all think we can solve for. Um, and when we get together, um, it's a contagious um, mm -hmm. energy that I get away walking away. And that's probably one of the main reasons why I continue to uh, participate in in the stewardship of this community is that I get just as much from it as those I hope who come uh, come to it. The other thing that was interesting was 
you know, and my wife uh, often talks about this as she's our champion um, as well to kind of help sell the, you know, the concept or tell people, yeah, you should try it, is that this in the hard way that it needs to be kind of quantified like we often find ourselves in pd where you read the outcomes and you're like okay well that's what i'm gonna get and here's the expert how we're different is that we don't say there's an expertise that you're or there's not a set of outcomes you're going to walk away with in fact we are very much kind of focused around this notion that you're going to bring the problem to the table that we're going to provide support for solving, helping you solve, but it may not necessarily get solved, but you're sure as ever going to walk away with a whole bunch of tools, ideas, networks, frameworks, and dispositions to help you solve it going forward. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't necessarily jive with everybody. You know, not everybody's seeking loose kind of um, kind of open-ended questions. And so I think those who within our kind of materials and every, any kind of communication we provide around what we are and what we do tends to magnet and attract a kind of a teacher who's ready for that, either at the beginning of their career, middle of their career. But what we, what we offer is a, a ton of support um, in that. And what's really cool, when you bring educators from across CIS Ontario together who don't share anything other than that, we're all teachers and in this community together, there's a really nice, neat pile on support vibe and kind of energy that comes from that and I think that is the reason why so many people stick around to either offer um, their expertise as a coach um, or a facilitator or just around the edges like you who have you know gone and done really cool things with your career and other kind of passion projects that we have been so fortunate to be able to kind of stay connected to and i can think of things like the cis ontario women's network uh, the unconference there's so many neat spin-off uh, projects that have been um, initiated within our community and i just feel really lucky to be able to be a part of uh, those in some small way yeah yeah, I think you're you're speaking around something that is actually one of my key takeaways from, you know, being in this conversation, but then also editing it afterwards, is that learning is so deeply social, and I don't think that we have enough of that, not for our students, and I don't think that as adults we have that, certainly not now with the pandemic, and like, I just wanted to sit down and have a drink with these people and get to talk about pedagogy and their life and the intersections of all these things, and I think that that's been the reason why Cohort 21 has been so powerful for me and what I heard in this conversation was that it's about the social connections and how you learn through that. And it's special because you go to a conference and you may have like some really wonderful social connections. If you go with people from your school, you, you know, develop those. But when you're in something for an entire year and you kind of have these little experiences trickled throughout but then also like if you look at you know Derek for example he's been in cohort 21 like me since the very first year and has been like you know in and out and more involved and less involved but these develop long-term learning relationships and we're not at the same schools we're not in each other's like messy day-to-day -day lives but we're coming together with like you said Justin like this optimistic hope for what can be possible in education and that I think is really deeply 
addictive. And I think that's why like we were joking around like drinking the Kool-Aid in the conversation because there's something that we want more of in that. And now that we're all so siloed and separated, um, I think like that's the power of inquiry is socially driven learning. Like that for me really highlighted re-listening to the conversation. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I loved uh, sort of building on what you were just saying, Celeste. I love that everyone came to Core 21 from that conversation was talking about how diverse their the, the interests were, how varied their action plans were, um, how they still remembered it, still connected. And I think that if you were to ask them, you know, who were you working with, they could still list off, you know, who their their sort of people were in that conversation. So that idea of social connection through the learning, I think, is really significant. And I was just struck by how much we have, as an organization, evolved over the last ten years, which I think is pretty significant. Um, yeah, and I think for me, just hearing their approaches to education, like they're roomier people, they're roomier educators, right? They're able to hold different ideas of education, conflicts, challenges, alongside opportunities and optimism. I think that's really significant. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of for me having learned over the last, uh, you know, some odd years in education, but also that, that we're developing an experience that allows that. I, I was struck by what um, Ashley Bailey was saying, how she was taking a big risk with design thinking at the very beginning. And she wasn't sure she would do that now, right? Even that reflective piece of, sure, she may not be feel comfortable doing it now, but if she wanted to, she knew she could, she could iterate on what she had done. Um, so I like that idea of that we're, there, we're roomier people, we're roomier educators, and we we have a certain disposition on how we step into our roles, regardless of where we were in that role or where we are in a new role. Yeah, I feel like that is a really cool offshoot of like what Justin was saying, like we're not, we're not trying to sell certainty. We're not saying you can do this experience and these are the outcomes that you'll have. It's really about embracing ambiguity and embracing uncertainty in our practices, especially now. Like we can, I think, I think now that I have been involved with this community since the very beginning of my profession, I feel like I have much, many more tools for being able to grapple with the unknown and not feel like I need to have I know, an answer. He, reminding me that this was like one of your earliest years in education when you came into it. That was so a baby. It's like, but look at what you've been doing, right? Look where you've yeah. taken education and taken some, you know, really thought really thoughtful, not, I wouldn't say risk, but choices, really thoughtful choices and how you want to continue to be an educator and, you know, following you on Instagram and Twitter, you too are trying to promote a certain disposition towards teachers as uh, teaching writing, mm -hmm. you know, like teachers can teach writing in this way. And I think that that too is contagious. Yeah. yeah and what, what a great group of people to get back together for a conversation. That was really fun to remind remind myself of those different uh, cohort seasons that they that they were involved in yeah. thank you yeah thanks for getting them together well thanks for getting us all together i mean the thanks goes to you too so thank you for all that you've done over the last 10 years it's really been you know, such a journey a huge thank you to garth Justin, Ashley Domina, Ashley Bailey Davis, Laura, Melissa, and Derek for being part of this conversation today. If you want to continue the conversation, come find me on Instagram. I'm at teaching underscore tomorrow or find Cohort 21 either by going to cohort21.com 
or find them on Instagram at cohort.21. I so love it when folks who are listening to the show tag me and who I'm talking to on the socials and share their takeaways, their feedback, their insights. Honestly, it's how we build community. It's how we learn socially and how we make each other better. So come find me, tag me in a post and let's be internet friends. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep trying to answer those big, complex questions. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.